welcome to the You on the Camino podcast for and about first-time pilgrims on the Camino de Santiago in Spain with your host, guide, and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Well, hello, everybody. This is Nancy with the You on the Camino podcast. I'm happy to be here today with Kimberly Smith coming to us from Santa Cruz, California. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Nancy. I'm so glad you decided to join me. I'm very happy to be here. It's exciting to be thinking about, well, and to be hearing also some of your own experiences on the Camino. Yeah. So Kimberly, you are not, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of people who have their flights booked and they're ready to go. They're packing and they've got some specific things on their mind because their travel is imminent as in the next month or two. You've got a different time horizon. When are you thinking of walking the Camino? For me, I'm not even thinking in terms of, oh, this year. It's a thing that wanders around my head and has been for quite a while now. I have a couple of friends who have walked parts of it. Our common friend, Ari, who's walked the entire length of the Camino, and I've read about it. So it's in my head as a possibility. And I do really like travel to the Iberian Peninsula very much. Through the pandemic, I have been hiking more and been outside more. And I've always loved a long walk in a city when I'm traveling. So the idea that I would do long walks to get across a whole expanse is very exciting to me. But it's not that in my mind, it's even something I'm committed to yet. It's something I think about a lot. And as I'm getting older and getting closer to retirement, it also becomes something that is more possible. Because right now, you know, as a teacher, my travel times are in summer, primarily. So when you think about the Camino and think about everything you've heard and the things that roll around in your head, what's the picture in your head of what is the Camino? I mean, there's a couple of different things. Like historically, I'm very excited about the idea that it's centuries. You know, people have been walking this for centuries. And to me, there's a lot of beauty in that. And that these towns along the Camino are organized to a certain extent around this ritual that has been in practice for centuries. To me, there's something very tender about that and and being included in that journey. I like things where we can kind of see both our own positioning and our own relationship to the past, how we got where we are, and think how to put it into words in a way like the past is never never gone. I I just got back from a trip to Portugal and I'm always so amazed by, you know, here we have so many homeless people live in our communities. And to be in Portugal, I definitely did not see as many homeless people, but there were communities, small communities of beggars. And sometimes it's really compelling to me that, you know, outside of these cathedrals, which, you know, have their own history of violence and their own connection to colonialism, the presence of these people who beg have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And I just wonder what that says about us that, you know, in the same way that I wonder what it says about us, that we have, you know, homeless brothers and sisters on the street. And anyway, I find that the Camino is connected to all those social dynamics, all those historical dynamics. I wonder maybe too about 
the connection between the Camino and the Franco period and, you know, all the things that when you're walking and you're in the presence of a real space in real time, those kinds of social, political, spiritual questions come to the surface. Oh, what a fascinating discussion to think about what's there that we don't see with our eyes. Mm -hmm. We see the cathedrals and the buildings and the people in the street, but what happened before that? Mm -hmm. And how is what happening now directly related to ha what happened before? So interesting. What's your, I'll say, education or career background? Does that play into this discussion at all? I think that as a teacher, I've been, I was a journalist in a former life, but I've been teaching for 20 years at a rural community college in the Southern Santa Clara or the Southern Silicon Valley. And I think for me, because I my career affords me these periods of doing some extensive travel, always in summer, more or less, you know, I'm paid on a 10 month schedule, but I have almost always three months off in the summer. So to be able to take these long journeys, but with climate change, it's been really interesting because in some ways it's becoming more and more challenging to travel in the summer to places like New York, where I used to live or to Europe. So anyway, I, I don't know. I think that very few people in our country are allowed to think in terms of these long journeys, right? Only the very rich or the retired or, you know, but I have been able to conceive of travel in more extended periods because of my career. And I, so I think that Camino is an extension of that. And, you know, colleagues on my campus have walked part of the Camino. Dear friends have walked part of the Camino. So it's always been in the realm of possibility. What do you teach? I teach English. So um, I don't, I don't have a degree in English, but I have a background as a writer. So as I said, I used to be a journalist and I have a, an MFA in that I earned through my work as a fiction writer. So I come to my teaching as a writer. And in fact, I, I forget, oh, I wish I could remember the gentleman's name, but he wrote a book about three journeys, one in Japan, one on the Camino. And I can't remember where the third walk that he did on these spiritual paths. And it was a really, really interesting book. I, I feel terrible that I can't remember his name, but I remember reading about his journey and being really moved by what his experience was. We get moved when we hear of people's journeys, mm -hmm. right? So with the Camino, there's this wonderful intersection of the journey and the destination. Mm -hmm. Is there any significance to you of the destination of Santiago de Compostela? You know, I, I know so very little. No, <laughs> I have some friends right now who are in sabbatical right now at Ponte Verde, which I believe is very close so I, my heart is with them, right? And I may be traveling to see them while they're, they're away. And I'm not even sure that I need to walk the whole Camino or feel drawn to walk the whole Camino. The friends who I know who have walked significant portions of it have never walked the whole, all of it. I think I'm probably more committed to the journey than the destination in that sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Not to be like in any kind of high ideal sort of way, just like literally. I can't even imagine really walking the whole thing. It's an interesting question because if you look at a traditional definition of pilgrimage, pilgrimage is a journey to a sacred center. 
which in this case is Santiago de Compostela. But the nature of pilgrimage is that the journey is transformative. And maybe spiritually, maybe you don't get that full experience if you don't walk all of it in that sense that you're not, I guess the pilgrimage includes a kind of a sacrifice. And I'm going to say something that's probably so taboo. I'm a person who likes to be very comfortable. I mean, our, our common friend that has brought us together is somebody who will endure great discomfort. And, you know, as we know, right. And a very hearty soul. I don't think of myself as that hearty soul. But I sometimes surprise myself with what I'm able to endure. And that's part of what I've enjoyed about hiking is that, okay, I can do more than I thought I was capable of doing, but I don't feel drawn to it the way some people do, you know? Like I love to watch the movies about people getting caught on top of the mountain, you know, or climbing the mountain. I don't know that I need to be the person who like does that. I am right there with you. Yeah, I I am the same way. And I have walked the entire Camino Frances, which is the route that starts in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, France, and goes to Santiago de Compostela. And I've done it all in one go. And there's definitely, when you're out there for 30 or 40 days doing the same thing every day over and over again, and you're staying in the pilgrims' hostels, sleeping in dorm rooms with anywhere from two to 100 people under the same roof, or excuse me, under the same ceiling in the same room, there's a definitely a, an experience that comes along with that. And there definitely is some, I will say, rigor and determination that's required to complete a journey like that. And my first, mm, from 2005 to 2012, that's how I did the Camino. Wow. And then I started realizing that I could honor my own needs and stay in private rooms. And then when I started leading groups in 2013, I realized I could further honor my own needs by having somebody else move most of my stuff and use the luggage transport service. The luggage transport services began the year after I walked the first time. So it wasn't on anybody's radar that you could do that at that time. And then I gradually, I had to really pay attention to my thinking about it what do I need to be able to be fully present and to have the experience that I long for? I mean, I think when I imagine myself, I, I, when I was younger, I did a fair amount of traveling and, you know, the open rooms, all, all the, you know, the backpack, all I was all up for that. Definitely at my age, I feel like I'm not as open to that. But I feel like I would want to carry my own things, which is saying a lot because I have never mastered the art traveling light. So that part is really appealing to me is that if I don't master that art, I definitely would bear the consequences in much greater ways than I than I do now. But I, I think I would go for a more private rooms. I don't know why. Probably have wonderful experiences if you are open to the more social experience. I would imagine that would be pretty great. It is. And the thing is, you use the word experience. You will have the Camino experience that you have. Yeah. So I was thinking about the numbers this past year when I was over in Spain. Uh, Let's see. By the end of July, I want to say of this year, there were close to 200,000 people who had completed the pilgrimage and completed the pilgrimage means receive your Compostela in Santiago by showing you've met the requirements of the church. Well, that's only a part of how many people are on the trail. 
because the estimate is something like another a 35% more of that are people who are on the trail who have started and haven't reached Santiago or who have reached Santiago and not gone to get the Compostela. So they're not in the statistics. Yeah. And I started thinking 200 and something thousand people, they're not all going to do it the same way. No. There isn't actually capacity for all of those people to sleep in the pilgrim hostels. There aren't enough beds in those hostels. So how do we get an experience that's right for us and honor the fact that it's we don't all want the same thing. Right, right. And at the same time, how do we get these wonderful experiences that people talk about are so quintessential to the Camino experience, like these shared meals where right. you have people sitting around a table and there's five different languages being spoken and the wine's being passed around and here's this and that and I'll help with the washing up and Yeah. So when you think about the Camino experience and what you might be after, can you share with us a little bit about what that might be? Sure. I mean, I'll I'll tell you two anecdotes that I have heard from the trail from from different friends. One is from a group of colleagues. One woman had just retired and she was traveling with two companions that were still on my campus. And I believe it was on the first day she, oh, actually this is, I'm combining two different stories, three different stories. One is a woman who on her first or second day fell in such a way that she broke her ankle and had to, her, and I think she was traveling with her husband, they had to fly home. So that was somebody's experience, right? And I think about that as an older, a person who's getting older. And then I had my colleagues from, from the campus, three of them went and one, she walked for about a day and it was not for her. So she flew home and the other two ladies continued on their journey. I don't think they walked the whole thing. In fact, I know they didn't walk the whole thing, but they had a magnificent experience. And then I have very, very dear friends who are, you know, in romantic partnership and they walked the trail together. And then I have since gone on many hikes with them that I just really, really enjoy. And they will tell me stories of the Camino. But one of the ones that stands out the most to me that I've used on my own little hikes with my grandchildren or, you know, things like that is if one person needs to pause, you pause until that person says, okay, let's continue. No questions asked. And I think that's such a generous way of being on the trail. And that really stands out to me as a a kind of an ethic that, you know, if you were to go with a companion, that you would just honor each other's rhythm, you know, as needed. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if they wanted to, they could have made an agreement, okay, well, I'll walk on ahead or, you know, whatever was needed. But I just love that idea that you would create space for your walking partners, that if somebody needed to pause, they don't have to make an explanation for why they need to pause. That's a beautiful story and a, a lesson that we can take with us whether we go with someone or we make friends on the trail, to be able to articulate our needs mm-hmm. and to share our respect for each other and for the journey that we're both on. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful too. And so that was something we put on practice on our own hikes. It reminds me of a couple years ago, I did the AIDS life cycle bike ride from San Francisco to LA. And they had this policy that nobody's left behind. So when we're out on training rides, I'm the slowest rider and 
there's always someone more experienced with me. And darn, he wouldn't leave my side. He wouldn't, he would not leave me out on the, on the road. And I just think for someone who's independent and who is used to doing things on their own or traveling solo to have that, there's a little bit of an adjustment period, but then once your heart accepts it, for me, there's no turning back. Wow. That's very beautiful too. Wow. Hmm. You said a couple things I want to go back to. You referred to the whole thing and we've talked a little bit because you've said different parts. Uh, You know, people who have walked some parts, you've known people who have um, walked the whole thing. What's your understanding of the whole thing? I guess, well, especially just from our brief conversation that you would start in France or start at the end. I guess most people go from east to west, right? Is that the traditional path? It depends on where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. So I guess for me, and you're going to see like all that I don't know, it would start on one side of the Pyrenees in France and you would end at the border or in Portugal, right? That's where it ends. So let's back up a step. The Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela and the cathedral there where they believe they have the remains of St. James. And so once that was established, hey, we've got the remains of the Apostle James, people started journeying there as early as the 900s. Wow. And then what happened is because people were journeying there, these routes became established. So if you imagine the destination is Santiago, if you live in other parts of Europe, you're going to come from France over the Pyrenees. And there are a couple routes that come from there. But what if you live in the south of Spain or the south of the Iberian Peninsula, as you said, you're going to just start walking from your home or on horseback or with a carriage and whatever means that you have. So there's a route that comes from the south from Seville. There's one from Madrid, one from Valencia, one from Barcelona. And then the Portuguese are going to come from Lisbon or Porto or from wherever they're coming from. So that's a north-south route. Okay. I see. I didn't understand that. Yeah. And what if you live north? If you live in Ferrol or A Coruña, you're going to start from where you are. Because back in the day, they didn't have the planes, trains, and automobiles that we had in the convenience. So if you look at walking the Camino Frances route, which you just described, yeah, you have a choice on where you start. So you can start over the French, French-Spanish border and walk 500 miles to Santiago. But let's say you don't have that much time or yeah. you just don't want to walk that far, for goodness sake. Maybe you want a two-week walk. Well, then you can look at the map and scoot yourself west and find a different starting point that could give you a continuous journey to Santiago. So you might start in, let's say, Burgos, which is a beautiful city and another destination in its own right. And that might be a three-week walk. Or you could start in Leon and chop off seven to 10 days of that walk and make it a two-week walk. Or you could do the minimum required to receive the Compostela certificate, which is to walk the last 100 kilometers from Sadia into Santiago. And that could be anywhere from five to eight to 10 days, depending on how far you want to walk each day. So it's beautiful to me to think about, well, the route's there. Right. I get to say what my journey is going to be. And the important point is, 
every single one of those options will give you a different experience. I bet. And a different season or, yeah. Exactly. And you can apply that principle to any of the routes. So let's say you want to watch the, walk the Portuguese route. You can decide, do I start in Porto or do I start in Lisbon? Right. Or you could start at the Portuguese-Spanish border and walk from there. Wow. You could walk all the way from Seville, but you could also pick one of the cities that that route goes through and start there. Yeah, that's really amazing to me. I, I have been to Portugal now twice and have really fallen in love with that country. So I can see that that would also be really appealing. It's a really special place. Yeah. Special place. So beautiful. What would you say you love about Portugal? I love the, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I've been there all together three weeks. In my three weeks, I feel like the people are really warm. And, you know, we were talking about the politics of a place. I really appreciate the way people talk about their colonial period and their period under the dictator Salazar and how they, I mean, again, my understanding is from a very removed place. But people are very open to having those conversations and they will share a lot about the nature of their country since the dictator fell. And also just to see, like, it was really interesting to be there this summer. I was there when the decision of the Roe v. Wade decision was made here and there was more shootings here. And it was very strange and almost surreal to be in a country where there are not mass shootings and where people take care of each other, like it's just something that you expect from the government to a large degree, and then how that impacts the community. So everybody seemed to have a lot more room for each other. There was seemingly a lot less impatience. There was a desire to be together. The squares are filled with families and children and people in conversation and the really obscene amounts of poverty that we see here. Like, I, I mean, I feel like you have to leave to almost come back in and be shocked by it. Um, you don't see that in the same way there. There's definitely income inequality there. And some people have more and some people have less. But from what I saw, even if your home is very humble, it's a functioning home. Whereas, you know, here we know a lot of people are without a home. So I like that about a country. You feel warm and safe in a country like that. I, you know, was able, I was there as part of a literary group and, you know, would be walking back to my hostel at midnight and felt perfectly safe in the streets in a way I don't think I feel that way here. So that's part of why I like that country so much. I think you've described it perfectly. It really gives a different sense when you see I'll say how they do community. Right. How, yeah, how other, and I think that's important for us to see that too, right? Because that opens up our own sense of what's possible. And it also helps wake us up to the choices that we're making without even knowing it. And then how those choices impact our own, our own lives very directly. Like it may seem that choice is affecting somebody outside of us, but in the end, anything that happens to someone else, it's going to impact how you and I experience the, our own towns, our own cities, how we live, right? Definitely. I wonder if you've hit on something that explains why Americans 
come back from the Camino so changed because they've spent whatever amount of time they've spent in Spain or Portugal observing and witnessing and even participating in this particular version of community. And you see it every single day in Spain in the plazas, as you've, as you've described, at five o'clock every day, everybody's out and the kids are playing and they're on scooters and kicking balls and the senior citizens are on the benches on the perimeter of the plaza and the adults are talking and smoking and you know getting getting all caught up but there's something that when we get all of our senses engaged day after day after day at the pace of walking we become a part of that and like you said when you come back the contrast is so shocking I think you really hit on something. I think you've said it really beautifully. There's something, the pace of walking, because I, you know, when I was in Portugal, I was doing a lot of walking in Lisbon, which is a really intense city to walk in through a heat wave. Let me tell you, yes, very up and down tiles that like are glaring back in your eyes, very slippery, but very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah, I think that there is something about the pace of walking and what you see at the pace of walking is really different than what you see any other way. And I also really liked what you said about the intergenerational community. That to me is lovely. I think you can get that here in the United States sometimes through dance community. Like I know we have a beautiful Zydeco community in the East Bay, and that's a very intergenerational community. Sometimes you'll see that, you know, in, um, Mexican-American community or Chicano community, Latinx community, like there tends to be a lot more intergenerational socializing. And it's really, I do enjoy that when I'm going to, to Spain or to Portugal to see people across the generations connecting. That's a very nice thing. It is. And I think it awakens something in us that we are longing for that we didn't know we were longing for. Right. You can't see it. You can't give a name to it until you can really see it. Mm, very good. You talked about being there in, in the heat of summer. This past year has been incredibly hot. When I was there from mid-April to mid-June, we had two heat waves of July caliber weather. And it was really hard to be walking and to be outdoors. And then it was hard to be indoors because there's no air conditioning and you have to keep the windows closed because there's flies and the weather really presents, mm, how do I say this? The weather really sets the stage mm -hmm. for an activity that requires you to be outdoors every single day. Yeah. If you could pick your ideal weather or time of year, when would you go walk the Camino? I mean, I'm guessing this is a complete guess would be fall or spring. Those are my two favorite times. There are, there are people who walk in winter. Yeah. And in fact, there's a, a woman who wrote probably more than one person, but there's a woman who wrote a book about winter pilgrimages. I believe her name is Anne Bourne. So anybody who wants to walk a winter pilgrimage, I'd point them to her book. It's not something I would ever do because I'm a fair weather pilgrim. Yeah, I think I'm a fair weather pilgrim. I love to be outdoors in beautiful weather. Yeah. Yeah. 
One of the things that I love is being a native Californian as well. I grew up an hour, a little bit north of you in the South Bay, San, San Jose area, and now live north of San Francisco. And we have the most beautiful springs, right? With the green and rolling hills and wildflowers and blue skies with puffy white clouds and all of that. And I was delighted to see that's what the Camino Frances looks like in the springtime. Yeah. Yeah. The landscape is not that much different than what you and I are familiar with. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The only tricky thing now is that I imagine we're attributing it to climate change, but the weather has become unpredictable. So as I mentioned, two heat waves in the spring this year with 95 degree weather and early May, a blizzard in the Pyrenees that a friend of mine walked through. So there's not so much predictability to the weather anymore. But so we can generalize that spring is absolutely beautiful. And then fall is lovely, just lovely. It's starting to get cooler. Days are getting shorter and you can actually feel when it switches to fall. It's really lovely. That's very interesting. Yeah, I would would want to think about that carefully, but I think you're right. Everything we thought or we knew about weather patterns is really changing. I've noticed that a lot in Santa Cruz. A decade ago, every morning would be coldish and gray. The sun would come and it would warm up. And now many mornings start in bright sunshine. We're starting to have hotter days, nothing like what I experienced in Lisbon or Porto. But yeah, it's really interesting to watch what's happening. Hmm. When you think about walking the Camino, Do you think about walking solo or do you think about somebody going with you or perhaps joining a group to go? What's the picture in your mind? I think given my personality, I I think I would be open to going alone on, especially on parts of it. I think I would enjoy that. I think I would most like to go with one other person that I have a a trusting relationship with um, and feel deeply connected to. I think there's always the pleasure of larger groups. Like I think, you know, I've been to Point Reyes uh, in the hostel with a weekend with large groups of people who I don't know that well. And that is kind of delightful in its own way. But, you know, having just been in Lisbon with this literary group and just had such a magical time and the honeymoon period of our little writing workshop, it was just so wonderful that first week. And then we had a pause and were separated because people started getting COVID. And then when we came back together, like the stress of travel, the stress of our long days, the heat, you know, some of the the other parts of being a human being start to emerge. <laughs> I find some of that more difficult to navigate, you know? So I don't know. I think that That would be its own Camino, right? To have to to deal with a group of people. But I suppose that has its own rewards and you would gain a lot of insight about the self and others through that too. Yes, I think you're right about that. And it's from what you just described, I think any of those would be a great experience. Yeah. And then it's just a question of deciding for yourself what you want this experience to be like. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first things I recommend when pilgrims think they want to walk the Camino is to do a little bit of research and look at what the different ways are. How could you do it? What might work for you? What might not work for you? 
And there's so many stories available online now. There's YouTube videos. There are so many books about the Camino and many active Facebook groups where people share their experiences. So it's become quite easy to find out what the many possibilities are. I actually think there's more information than one person can digest. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, it could be kind of nice to create all of those experiences for yourself, you know? That would be a really interesting way. Or to even be open to be a little fluid while you're there. Sure. One of the things you'll probably hear about when you start doing some research is the idea of a Camino family. People who travel solo get there, get to their starting point, and straight out of the gate meet people and make friends. And then people start to go at the same pace and they get to know each other and they become a Camino family, what's referred to as that. And there are things in the first couple of days on the Frances that really lend itself to creating that. There's the first stage out, you can divide that into two days. And there are two places right out of Saint-Jean where you can stay. One is called Refuge Orson, and the other is Albert's Borda. And both of them offer this wonderful shared dinner experience where you just, Orson is something like 40 people around big, long dinner tables. And they go around and they have you stand up and introduce yourself if you want to and say whatever you want to say. And there's also this beautiful terrace that overlooks the Pyrenees where people sit and eat their lunch or have a glass of wine after they arrive from walking. It's only five miles from Saint-Jean, but mostly uphill. Yeah, it's vertical. And so people meet people and make friends and suddenly you've got a group of people who you like and who you want to hang out with. And then sort of ebbs and flows as you go. Sometimes people walk ahead, sometimes people hang back, and then you see them a week later and there's this wonderful reunion of, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you since the first day. And yeah, so what's interesting is that anything is possible. That sounds really beautiful. I'm really enjoying hearing about, you know, like I said, it's not something that I have committed to or given a lot of deep thought to, but I really love hearing your stories too. And you're painting such vivid pictures. I like that a lot. Oh, I'm happy to. I have, because I've done that part so many times, it's like, but I know that part, you know, I can tell you where all the water spouts are. (laughs) (laughs) When you get over the mountain, whether you do it in one or two days, the first place that you come to inside Spain is called Roncesvalles. And it's, it's not even officially, I don't think a hamlet. There's a monastery there And they've been serving pilgrims for hundreds of years. And now there's a big modern albergue or pilgrim's hostel in in English. And there are three dining rooms in the town or in in Roncesvalles where they serve pilgrims meals. And it's really fun because then you get over the hill and you are dog tired. You've gone vertical uphill practically and then a steep descent into Roncesvalles and everybody is now on the same page. They are, in, in the English phrase, they're knackered. I mean, your, your hips hurt, your legs hurt, your knees hurt, your feet hurt, your, your backpack is too heavy. And, and then there you are around the table and everybody's just, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And then you eat together and then you, hey, where are you from? And how are you? How was your first day? And yeah, it's just a really, it's a, just a, a unique experience, I think. 
And I would imagine there's nothing so sweet. Like there was a time in my life where I was doing a lot of physical labor during the day. And there's nothing so sweet as a sleep that comes from physical exhaustion. That is the sweetest sleep there is. Absolutely. And you, on the Camino, you need it, especially if you're staying in the shared dorms, because there's often quite a cacophony of snoring and other body sounds going on. So to be physically exhausted and to be able to just relax and release and fall asleep is quite a gift. Yeah. So Kimberly, if you're thinking about you know this time horizon a couple years out, it's an idea that you haven't said a solid yes yet. Is there anything I can share with you or any questions that I can answer for you or a step one on the training path or anything? I guess my first question would be, I mean, obviously you have so much information and such a wealth of experience. So how do people contact you or how do you get in contact with people who are thinking about this journey? Oh, thank you for asking that. I have a website and it's always in the show notes from the podcast episode. It's pretty easy. It's thecaminoexperience.com. And on my website, I've got a bunch of information about how it works. Things like how do you document your journey? Or what is it? Let's start there. What's the terrain like? Where do I find food? Where do I sleep on this thing? And why do people do this? So there's some basics there. And then what I also have is a program that I offer. It's called Just Get Me Started. And it's for people who know they don't want to guide the whole way, but they'd like some assistance to get started. So what we do is we get ready together and we do that via Zoom calls, which the gift of the pandemic, before the pandemic, when I led groups, I would have to just do email. And because I'd have people in other countries that it wasn't practical to call, now we get on Zoom and we can get to know each other. It's really fun. And see each other's faces. Exactly. And we get ready. We meet in St. Jean and we stay two nights there and then we start walking and we're together till Pamplona, which is day four or five of walking. And then by the time we reach Pamplona, people are like, ah, I got this. I got this. All of that's available on my website. And then this podcast will also be available every place podcasts are available. I am. Um would imagine like for me, like I said, I've never mastered the art of packing light enough. Um, but I imagine that alone would be really helpful as what you bring in the pack, what you think you need versus like somebody like you who's had that experience, like definitely do not take that thing that you think you're going to need because you won't. <laughs> you won't want it. When, on one of my trips, I met these two guys from Australia and we got to Pamplona. I, I was watching him, this one guy suffer. He was, his pack was so heavy. And when we got to Pamplona, I said, Hey, let can I just, you know, help you out? Can I take a look and see what you got in there and see if we can weed it out? And he pulls out a big jar of jam, a glass jar of jam that he was carrying. And then he pulls out a handful of hangers to hang clothes with. And I, I was like, oh, oh, my heart is just so open to see what we think we have to hold on to and what we're going to bring with us that it's just because we don't know. Right. And but who knows who has ever done anything like this before? Right. Right. And and then I guess the other thing I would want to ask you if you're open to sharing, how is it that you came to this work? Because I can sense your passion for it, your delight. Obviously, you know, even though I'm sure there's some income that you're generating, it's a labor of love and you're, you know, 
dealing with human beings is quite challenging and dealing with human beings under stress. And I imagine that uphill walk on that first day, especially if there's extreme weather that, you know, is going to bring out, you know, people's fear and anxiety, and you're managing all of that, you're kind of a container for that. So how did you come to this work? And, you know, why is it that you keep doing it? I think I mentioned that I had been walking the Camino for a number of years, and I had gotten started on the way so many times. I was coming over, going over twice a year. And so twice a year from 2007 to 2012, I was getting started on the Camino. And one day I just was scratching my head going, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at getting started. What if that's what I can share with other pilgrims? There's so many things about the Camino. You could go and volunteer in an albergue. You could work at the pilgrim's office in St. Jean or Santiago. You could, you know, fill in the blank, do things to share with pilgrims. But I wanted two things. One is I wanted more time on the Camino and I wanted to share what I had gotten good at. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And one morning I just woke up with this idea. What if I just get people started? And that's my gift. And that's what I'm going to do for people. And at the time I wasn't employed. And so I had, I had to earn an income. And I noticed the program that I put together brought a lot of value. And so I, I charged for it, of course. And so the first, those first four years, I would lead two groups in the spring and two groups in the fall, and sometimes three groups in the fall. And sometimes I had only two people, and sometimes I had eight or nine. And I just kept doing it. And it was so fun and so poignant to witness people's journeys. And that's where my heart is. That's where I get so excited is just to go, wow, what these people are stepping into, the courage it takes for some people to go do this is just astounding. And to be there, to witness that and also say, I know you can do this. You've done other hard things in your life, right? I, hello, you've raised children. If you've raised children, you can do this. In fact, you could probably do just about anything if you've raised children. So that was my joy, was to be with them on their first part of their journey when they're looking at the mountain going, ah, you know, and just, yeah, just be with them. I can really sense that in you. So that's really exciting. And I love to share information. I, I noticed that on the trail, I, I would hear people talking and be like, oh, wait, let me, let me tell you what's coming. Or, hey, oh, that's not quite right. Let me tell you the accurate information. There was times I was a very obnoxious know-it-all, I admit, but it all came from a place of, oh, I just want you to have the best experience you could possibly have. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no, it's like a, it takes a real complex set of talents, I think, to do the kind of thing you're doing. Mm, thank you. It's fun when we find our niche and our, you know, the current phrase is our wheelhouse. Yeah. And what I think happens on the Camino is this pace of walking for day after day after day, it allows you to listen more deeply to who you are and what makes your heart sing. And on my first Camino in 2005, I was approaching 40 and I was, what the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? I was divorced and I had my career, I had gotten laid off from my big girl corporate career. 
and is asking all these questions. And my journal from that first walk is hilarious. Every page. I still don't know. I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. I still don't know. It's like, good grief. Could you give it a minute and maybe let something <laughs> unfold? And so to, to find that. And, and I think that's what the Camino provides for some people is they find their place and they find those unique talents and gifts that are waiting to come out and be given to the world. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. Yeah. And I guess because we so rarely are able, I mean, I know certainly walking up a mountain is not nothing, but in some ways it's not like Indian in an object or a value or, you know, something quantifiable, right? Something tangible. So in the times of my life where I have been afforded time to do quote unquote nothing, that's been some of the richest experience that you can have. You do get in, in tune with yourself in a really different way. Your senses enliven, you become awake to your environment. You see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. That part seems really appealing to me. Like you don't know what's going to happen on the walk, right? But everything's going to happen on the walk. Yeah. And the people who you meet, you just never know who's going to say something to you that's going to send you off in the right direction or what conversation you're going to have or what you're going to say to someone. And it be that statement for them where they go, oh my gosh, thank you. And they go off and do what they're supposed to do in their life. Yeah. One of the things people rave about about the Camino is the kindness of strangers. And I love that moment when they realize that they are the ones giving the kindness to strangers and that they have that power at all times. So the receiving of it, I've noticed, especially Americans are just like, oh my gosh, people are so kind. And this Camino angel turned up and said this or gave me this. And then there's that shift where they start doing it themselves. And we realize that that's who we are. We are all the kindness to strangers. Wow, that is really beautiful. And I, I like the idea that the more of us that can have those kinds of experiences, the more we can bring that with us when we return home. Exactly. That's really beautiful. Exactly. And then we go back into our communities and it's actually one of the things, I, I talked about this in another episode, a book by San Francisco author Phil Cousineau. It's called The Art of Pilgrimage. And he lays out seven stages of the pilgrimage journey. And the final one is called Bringing Back the Boon. And in early pilgrimage, or actually I think maybe even in traditional pilgrimage, people would go on pilgrimage on behalf of their village or beha on behalf of their families. And there was an inherent responsibility to bring back the benefit of the pilgrimage to everyone because not everyone can go. And so if I'm representing my village, it's up to me to come back and share the boon or the benefit with everybody. And if we start to think about that for modern day, imagine the possibilities of what we can do after we have such a transformative experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. And I think it almost feels like you started interviewing me. I was very curious, you know, and I, I, I really enjoyed getting to know more. I really did enjoy getting to know more. And that's also, you know, part of my decision-making process and knowing yeah. people are out there. So 
Yeah. And I love the long lead up that you have because you can have these kinds of conversations with other people. And pretty soon people will be seeking out you to have these conversations because you'll start to get a sense of who you are in relation to the Camino. Well, it almost feels like I'm really going to have to go now. So very good. Well, and you'll know, you'll know the right time, the right way, the right place. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us or any other questions that we can, we can answer? No, I'm just so glad to be in connection with you. And thank you so much for all your great questions and helping me conceive of, of what's possible. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for this conversation with Someday Pilgrim Kimberly. I wonder how many people are in the same position as Kimberly. They have heard of the Camino and feel it's something they may do someday, but they haven't yet committed. If that's you, I will just say that the Camino has been there for over a thousand years and it will be there if and when you are ready to walk. I didn't expect this to happen, but Kimberly got me talking about my love and passion for the Camino and for helping pilgrims get started on their Camino journeys. It is my pleasure and honor to assist you in planning and preparing for your Camino with this podcast and with the groups I lead. I have many more episodes for you coming week by week. Okay, now let's move on to this week's top tip. This episode's top tip is actually two tips in one, and it's coming to you live from Santiago de Compostela. That's where I'm recording today. This tip involves an important word to know when on the Camino, plus some really good food. The word you will want to know is donativo. That's the Spanish word for donation, and it turns up in some predictable places along the Camino. The most common place you'll see the word donativo is at the parochial or church-run albergues. As I've mentioned before, an albergue is a hostel, and those run by churches along the Camino are special places, available only to pilgrims traveling to Santiago de Compostela. There are other donativo albergues along the way, in addition to those run by the local churches. These often are hosted by people who have walked the Camino and then returned to open albergues or serve at existing ones so they can give back to the pilgrim community. It's that hospitality from former returned pilgrims that make these places so special. You may also see the word donativo for a shared meal served by an albergue hospitalero or host, or for laundry service provided by a place where you pay a set fee to stay. Another place to expect a request for donation is along the trail at pop-up refreshment or souvenir stands, where a local person has put out snacks, drinks, and maybe Camino-themed trinkets for the pilgrims in exchange for a cash donation. At these places, you're likely to see a sign that says Donativo and a box or can where you drop in your money. What does Donativo mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is free. 
The idea behind the Donativo albergues, meals, and refreshment stands is that each pilgrim gives what he or she is able to give. For some pilgrims, that may, in fact, be nothing or very little. But for many, if not most pilgrims, an appropriate donation would be what you would pay for the similar item or service at a non-donativo place. For example, if you would usually pay 8 or 10 or 15 euros for a bed at an albergue, then that is what you would pay at the donativo place. Or more. And that's the key. Donativo places survive on the cash donations given to them by pilgrims who can afford to pay for their services. The donation you give today is what allows them to open the doors and serve a meal the next day. So if you would normally pay 8 or 10 or 12 euros for a pilgrim's meal in a restaurant or bar, then that's what you would pay for a similar meal at an albergue where the host is requesting a donation. Remember, your donation ensures that they will be able to feed those pilgrims who stay the next day, just as those who stayed the day before have paid for your meal. Speaking of a good meal, one of the things I love to do on the Camino is find good food, especially good vegetarian food. And I love to find and meet people who have opened businesses on the Camino after walking their own pilgrimages. The second part of this top tip then is to bring together the Camino idea of Donativo with some of the best food and kindest, warmest hosts I've found on the Camino Frances. Let me take you to a spot on the trail that is 166 kilometers from Santiago to the town of La Portela de Valcarce. This town is located in the beautiful valley between Villafranco del Biezo and the final mountain you climb on the Frances route, the one that takes you up to Osobrero. The place is called Vagabond Viarias Rock and Roll Pizza. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it is a donation albergue and pizza place all in one. First, the pizza. American pilgrim David came to La Portela in 2021 to open a Camino location of his U.S. franchised business, Rock and Roll Pizza, and to bring to the trail his own delicious recipes for New York-style pizza. That's thin crust with lots of delicious, fresh toppings. I think I have eaten every pizza available on the Camino Frances, and David's is by far the best I have had in this part of the world. And here's the best part. He and his partner, Pilgrim Kira from Denmark, also run a Donativo albergue, and they serve the pizza Donativo to their pilgrim guests. Wow. Note again that Donativo doesn't mean free. When Rock and Roll Pizza is open to the public on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings, the pizzas go for around 4 to 5 euros a slice, or 17 to 20 euros for a whole pie. So if you have the means, that would be your guide for how much to give as a Donativo. I have a feeling, though, that you're going to like this pizza so much 
you may be inclined to pay even more than the posted prices. There's more. David and Kira also serve Donativo Chocolate con Choros for the pilgrims every morning during the season that they're open from 7 to 9 a.m. I don't know how they do it, but their churros are by far the best I have ever had. And you don't have to stay at the Donativo Albergue to have breakfast there. If you pass by during their morning opening hours, stop in, say hello, and enjoy the churros along with a coffee or tea and some fabulous rock and roll memorabilia. All Donativo. One final thing to mention about giving a Donativo. When you drop your currency into the donation box or tin, be sure you're dropping in euros. You may be surprised that I feel the need to mention this, but I recently talked to an albergue host who found Israeli shekels in his donation box. Local currency only, please. Okay, my friends, that's it for this episode. I am currently working on lining up interviews with first-time pilgrims for the second season of this podcast, You on the Camino de Santiago. If you are making plans to walk the Camino, I would love to talk with you. The only requirement, other than being a first-timer, is that we share a common language. Yes, English. So no matter where you're from or where you live, I would love to connect. And I know my listeners would love to hear from pilgrims from all the countries they're likely to meet when on the way, regardless of which route you plan to walk. But you may be wondering, what's in it for you? Well, the interviews you've been hearing on this podcast are only part of the conversations I have with my guests. We continue to correspond after the interview, and I'm available to answer your Camino questions as you continue to prepare for your walk, because more questions always come up. To let me know you're interested in being a guest, you can simply follow the link in the notes for this episode. Easy. I can't wait to hear from you. Bye for now. 